Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1534. Uh, We also have the words on the screen for you. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come, to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it be given the wedding clothes for the king's banquet. When I was on vacation with my family, we went to SeaWorld. Anybody ever go to SeaWorld before? It's a great place to go. They've added new attractions. There's new roller coasters. It's pretty fun. But in order for us to get into the park, we needed our tickets, right? Of course, nowadays, everything is digitized, so we had these lanyards that that they could just scan, giving the, the gatekeepers all the information that was necessary. And the information that they had was our names, our, our ages, along with the specific dates that our tickets were good for. And if any one of those things just didn't match up, then we would have been refused entry. Now imagine if there were tickets into the kingdom of God. What information do you think would be necessary? What would qualify a person to gain entrance? It is in our parable for today that Jesus addresses this very issue. But before we jump in, we we need to be careful. Careful not to pluck this parable out of its context, out of the context from which it has been given. For there is a, a tendency to take this specific passage out of its historical setting and place it into a, another framework for which it wasn't really meant for. You see, some will take these verses and think that the main focus is on evangelism. 
And while a teaching concerning evangelism can, can be derived from this passage, uh, to focus solely on that is to miss the greater message. Still others view this passage as if it deals with eschatology or end-time theology. And while the end-time does play a role, it is more of a consequence of that greater issue that Christ was addressing. So in order for us to get the point of this parable, we must first ground ourselves in the setting in which Jesus found himself. Only then will we be able to apply it to our lives today. So let's remind ourselves of this historical setting that produced this parable in the first place. If you recall, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem and he had established his authority as king, high priest, and prophet of God. And he had done so in in a manner that caused a stir throughout all of Jerusalem. And if you remember, it was the, the chief priests and the elders who had challenged Jesus' claims. They asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And in response, Jesus directed them to John the Baptist, the, the prophet of God who had declared him to be the Messiah. And, and he then began to rebuke these leaders for their unrepentant hearts. For they refused to believe both John's message and the one that John had pointed to. Jesus then continued on in his rebuke by sharing with them three parables. Each one addressing this issue of authority. And we have already covered the first two. There was a parable of the two sons where we saw that only those who repent and submit to Christ's authority can enter into the kingdom of God. Remember, there was the one son who had disrespected his father by refusing to work in his vineyard, and yet later he had changed his mind and did his father's will. And then there was that second son, the one who who put on an air of piety by telling his father, Sir, I will do as you ask. I will go work in your vineyard. And yet, when the father left, he, he did not do his father's will. And then last week, we saw another parable, the parable of the wicked tenants. These were the, the, the workers who wanted the vineyard all to themselves. And any time the, the landowner sent his servants to collect the fruit, they would be beaten and killed by these tenants. Finally, the, the, the landowner sent his own son, saying to himself, surely they will respect my son. But they didn't show him respect. Instead, they threw him out of the vineyard and murdered him as well. And it was from this story that we learned that the kingdom will be taken away from those who reject God's Son and and it will be given to someone else. And now today we have come to this third parable that Jesus spoke against, against the leadership. And it is here where we learn to whom the kingdom will be given. Let's take a look at the beginning of this parable. Look at verses 1 through 4. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. The first thing that we must notice is that what Jesus is describing in this parable is the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, what is this kingdom of heaven? This is something that we've been talking about for some time throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It is one of the major themes that that flows throughout this book. If you recall, it it was way back in chapter 4 when Jesus began his ministry. He did so by proclaiming this message. Look at at chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. This word kingdom comes to us from the the Greek word basilia. And its intended meaning means royal power or royal reign, if you will. It is the rule of a king. So when Jesus states that the kingdom of heaven is is near, he is saying that the royal power that, that comes from heaven above is at hand. And it is in our parable for today that he says that this same royal power that comes from heaven, it is like a king who, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son and has sent out invitations for people to come. Now remember, these three parables that, that Jesus Spoke. They were addressing the issue of authority. And in each parable, we have seen the, the magnitude of that authority increase. With the, with the two sons, it was the authority of a father. With the wicked tenants, it was the authority of a landowner. And now here we have the authority of a king. Jesus wants his listeners to feel the gravity of the situation. You see, when when a person receives an invitation from a king, it it is less of a request than it is a command. And yet what we find in this story is that those who were invited refused to come. This was a premeditated rejection of their king. They did not honor him nor respect his authority. And it's not like he was asking them to do something difficult. No, he he wanted to celebrate with them. He wanted them to share in his joy. He had prepared a feast at his own expense in order that he might welcome people into his banquet hall. Now in society back then, a, a wedding feast, it could be a lengthy, lengthy event. Typically it would go on for days, if not a week. And these weddings, they were, they were looked forward to because they brought great joy to all who were invited. They were times of merriment, times of celebration. And at the best weddings, there would be choice food and the, and the finest wines. There would be music. There would be dancing. There would be entertainment. 
And you could be certain that when a king put on a wedding, his would outdo all the rest. And that is what is so shocking about this tale. For no one in their right mind would want to miss this event. And yet, on that first day, the the invited guests didn't arrive. But the king was patient. He sent out his servants once again in an effort to entice his guests to come. He wanted them to know about his oxen, about his fattened cattle that had been butchered. He wanted them to understand that he had spared no expense, that those who would come would be richly blessed. Come to the wedding banquet. Let us be merry together. But how would the people respond? How would they respond to such a generous spirit? Look at at verses 5 and 6. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Here we see two different kinds of rejection. We have those who, who paid no attention And we have others who get irate and cause violence. Now, with the first group, we can sort of understand, am I right? I mean, they just were not interested. Either they were too busy with something else or or they just didn't want to go. One tended to his field. Another went to his place of work. I mean, that's life, am I right? We have so much that is going on. You know, our our work is demanding. Not to mention there are baseball games, there are school recitals that we must attend. And and each one of us, we we have our own personal hobbies as well, do we not? That that, that takes priority over other things. So we don't want to be bothered when we have so much else that is keeping us busy. It is this group of people, those who were distracted with the busyness of life, they have rejected the invitation of their king, and they have done so for mundane and selfish reasons. They will not come to the wedding feast because they have no real interest in honoring their master. How many in our world today have pretty much rejected Jesus for these same reasons? I I would go to church, but I, I don't have the time. It's not that I don't believe, I'm just so busy with everything else. I need Sunday to be about me day. This type of attitude demonstrates a disregard for Jesus and his authority. For, for let's be honest, if Jesus was truly your king, if he was truly the one that you worshipped, then you would make him a priority. You would make time in your life to be with him and to be with his family. How many during Jesus' day implicitly rejected him simply because they just didn't care? Because they were apathetic? 
They were just living their lives as if God didn't exist and wasn't making himself known through this Jesus. But then we have this second group, do we not? The ones who were violent. The ones who seized the the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Now when you hear this story, doesn't this seem to be an extreme, extreme overreaction? Especially when you compare them to that first group. I mean, if you don't want to attend, why not just say so and go along your merry way? Why do you have to get violent? Why do you have to kill the messengers? I remember this time when I was on a bus trip and I struck up a conversation with a gentleman sitting next to me. Eventually, we began talking about God and I got to share the gospel with him. And for the most part, he was, he was actively listening. But when I described Jesus as God in human flesh, it was as if a switch went off in his head. He began to shake and, and, and become speak intensely. He, he pointed his finger at me and said, Jesus is not God and you cannot convince me otherwise. For a moment, I thought that the man might hit me right there, right then. Needless to say, our, our conversation stopped and we sat for the rest of that trip in awkward silence. Listen, the, what you have to understand is that the message of Christ, it's going to be offensive to much of the world. This is what Paul meant when he said these words. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession, in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. There are people out there that can't stand the gospel invitation. And the reason they hate it is because of their rebellious nature towards God's authority. They want to be their own master. And so they'll fight tooth and nail to keep it that way, even if it means they have to kill God's messengers. And this is exactly what we see in these religious leaders of Jesus' day. Christ had put himself forward as their Messiah. He had invited them to join him in his kingdom. But in order for them to do that, they would have to submit to his authority. I mean, that was the message that he preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But these religious leaders, they did not want to bend the knee. And so they plotted instead to take Jesus' life. They were violent towards Christ. But when the king in our story got wind of what happened to his messengers, he grew angry as well. Look at verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Judgment came to those who were violent. Not only did this 
did the king destroy those murderers, but he then burned their city. This is an allusion to the judgment that would soon fall upon Jerusalem. For within a generation of Jesus' death and resurrection, God would use the Romans to burn Jerusalem to the ground and destroy the temple. But it is also an allusion to what is to come. For any, any who refuse the gospel invitation will find that they are in danger of the wrath of God. Dear friends, don't kid yourself. There is a day of judgment that is coming for any who reject the Son. For any who reject Jesus. But judgment isn't the only thing that God does. For the wedding feast must continue. And if those who were invited weren't worthy, then the king would find others who would be more deserving. Look at, look at verses 8 through 10. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The invitation is now extended to all. And this is good news. The king's servants, they're sent out to the street corners where the masses gather. And there is no qualifier to receive this invitation. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. And it doesn't matter if you're good or if you're bad. Think about that. Remember after Jesus' first parable, the parable of the two sons? What did he tell the, the religious leaders? He said that the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those who were notorious sinners, they were entering the kingdom of God ahead of them. Perhaps you are here today and you are feeling the burden of something that you've done. That the weight from the sins that you've committed is pressing down upon you. That the shame that, that you are feeling is so heavy and so great that you can't possibly imagine any situation where God would welcome you into his house. If this is you, then know this. The invitation to the wedding feast has your name on it. You have been invited to join in the festivities. You can come to the party. You can share in the joy of your king. But you may be thinking to yourself, but pastor, how can this be? You don't know what I've done. You don't understand the magnitude of my sins. You're right. I don't know. But what I do know is that the saving power of my Lord Jesus Christ is far greater than anything that you could have ever done. I know that he died for those very sins that are weighing you down. I know that he took on, on the punishment that you deserve. 
And because of that, he has removed any guilt, any shame for those who repent and trust in him. For he has a righteousness that is far greater than any sin that you could ever commit. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. What Paul is saying here is that a person's justification, that their innocence before God comes not through one's obedience to the law, for that would be impossible, but rather it comes through faith. Faith in the one who is righteous. Faith in the one who is obedient. Faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, the invitation to the wedding feast is right before you. It is your ticket in. And it contains all the information that is necessary to gain entrance. And what is that information? What would they see if they, if they scanned that ticket? It would say this. Sue Belden, you have been given the righteousness of Christ. Wayne Coy, you have been given the righteousness of Christ. Dennis Wells, you have been given the righteousness of Christ. Do you see it? In order to come, you must first remove your, 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 your filthy clothes and put on the wedding garments that have been prepared for you. You must put on Christ's righteousness. And the way you do that is through faith. This is what is expressed back in our parable. Look, look at our last set of verses. Look at verses 11 through 14. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Whether one is good or whether one is bad, there is an appropriate attire for the wedding feast. One must put on the wedding clothes. For to wear anything else is an affront to the king. Of course, we find this one man who was not dressed appropriately. One man who stuck out like a sore thumb. And when the king asked him about this, the man was speechless. He had nothing to say. For he was guilty, and he knew it. He knew that he did not honor his king. 
He knew that he did not prepare himself in an acceptable manner for this feast. He may have desired the food that was on the king's table, but he did not love the king. Unfortunately, there are some who attend God's church and and have yet to clothe themselves in the righteousness of Christ. They have only come because of what they can get. They like all the trappings that, that Christ has to offer, but they have no love for Jesus. And this is the third type of rejection. Those who who claim to follow Jesus but have no love for him and are unwilling to submit to his authority. And though they are in the church, though they claim to be Christians, they have become a tear among the wheat. For they, they have refused to put on the wedding clothes because they think that their filthy rags are more suitable than what Christ has to offer. How can you know if you are wearing wedding clothes or if you are wearing your own filthy garments? Ask yourself these two questions. One, are you trusting in your own good works to be right with God? Or are you trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as your only hope? This is a question of faith. For if you are trusting in yourself, in your own goodness then you have yet to put on the righteousness of Christ. Second question. Is there an area in your life that you refuse to submit to Christ's authority? And let me be clear here. I'm not not talking about someone becoming sinless. But what I am talking about is acknowledging to God that what you are doing is sinful and asking him to remove that sin in your life. This is a question of repentance. But if you love your sin more than you love Jesus and you refuse to acknowledge that, that, that what you're doing is even a sin, then you have yet to put on the righteousness of Christ. You are unrepentant and have rejected Jesus as your king. Remember, these parables They're addressing the authority of Jesus. And if you reject his authority, then you will be rejected from the kingdom. You'll be just like that man in our story who was bound up, thrown into the outer darkness where there'll be nothing but despair and bitter cold, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And to be chosen, you must put on the righteousness of Christ. To sum things up, we see four kinds of people who have received the invitation. Four kinds invited to the banquet, but not all are chosen. There are the indifferent, those who don't want to make the time for their Lord. There are the violent, those who hate Jesus so much that they will persecute his followers, the very ones who were trying to invite them in the first place. There were the tares, those who claim to follow Jesus but do not love or submit to him. And then there are the chosen, those who have accepted the invitation and have put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only the latter will be welcomed into the kingdom.
Which are you? Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that the invitation to your wedding banquet has gone out to us. It has our name on the ticket. And we are thankful for the, for the wedding clothes that you have provided, that you have clothed us with the righteousness of your son. We confess that in our own strength, we are not worthy to enter in. For our own clothes are merely filthy rags. And yet your mercy goes before us. We look forward to that day when we will be seated at that table in your presence. Until then, we look to honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.